0: It begins with the resurrection and continues on well beyond that day. We are Easter people. And because we are Easter people, we have received a calling to go into the world and share that amazing good news that Christ is risen. That Christ has died for the world, conquered death and is alive. And we must celebrate that with joy. Because there are those in our lives, whether they are family, whether they are friends, whether they are neighbors, coworkers, or even strangers we meet on the street who need to be reminded of the Easter story. we reminded that in death we do not have to lose all hope. That through Jesus Christ and the resurrection, hope is, is restored. And we can live in that space. And so as I began earlier this year, laying out my sermons for the year, when I arrived at Easter, I remembered that hope that comes through the cross. That amazing gift from God. And then I thought to myself, how can we as the church, what shall we do with that message? And then I thought back to conversations I've had over the years with individuals Where they have asked, Pastor, what do I do with this? Like I know you're telling me that Jesus is risen. Great, I got it, I love it. But what do I do next? I saw God on that Sunday, but how do I see God every day after? And the truth is, he's right here in this book. (coughs) This book... That we cherish. This book that God has spoken into, breathed life into. It is filled with so, so much. It is filled with heartache. It is filled with a reminder of pain. But it is also filled with a reminder of the love that God has for us. And all we have to do is turn to page one and be completely and totally reminded of all of this. The book of Genesis, which opens up in verse 1 and it says, In the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered covered the face of the deep. (coughs) Darkness covers our lives, doesn't it? Darkness covers the world that we live in, doesn't it? Just even last Sunday, Easter (coughs) Sunday, Darkness showed up in the world. Yet we can turn to the book of Genesis at the very beginning. And when darkness covered the face of the earth, God spoke into the world and said, Let there be light. And
1: in that voice he said, It is good.
0: He wiped away darkness by saying, Let there be light. Light shall always overcome the darkness. Because God spoke into it. And when he did, he said, it is good. The light is good. And if God didn't do that over the whole of the world, imagine what he can do in your life when he speaks into your heart and says, let there be light in your heart. The darkness that overcomes us may be wiped away. And he says, it is good. Over these next seven weeks, my goal, my hope is to spend time going through this book. Not page by page, because that would make for very long sermons. In fact, it would probably last well past supper time into the next morning if I <coughs> preached every single word out of this book. But I'm happy to do so if you all want me to. Fred said yes. Your grandpa's okay with that. Are you okay with that? You would have to miss school. She's like, bring it on. <laughs> there might be homework here, though. She's like, all right, I'm good with that. Well, I want to open up this morning with the conversation you'll notice in your bulletin, the title, the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is, for some of you, maybe this is the first time you've heard of that word. Maybe for some of you, this is a refresher course, if you will, but the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch itself, that word is is two words, the first half meaning five, the second half meaning tool, or in other translations, scroll. Scroll. The reason this word exists is because if you go into a Jewish synagogue and you ask the rabbi, if you say, sir, may I see Exodus? I'm looking for the Bible. Can I see the book of Exodus? And I only tell you this from experience because I had a student do this once. The rabbi will put his hand on your shoulder and say, my good friend. That church is down the street. Here, we don't have that. And I tell you that because this did happen. I took a student and a group of students to the Jewish synagogue in Toledo, and the the young man said, can I see the book of Exodus? And the rabbi said this. And the student said, but aren't you a church? And he says, well, we're a synagogue, and let me show you what you're asking for. And so he turned and he went and he pulled out this scroll, this giant, massive scroll. And he laid it on the altar. He unrolled it and he said, here it is. Of course, it was in Hebrew. And he asked the young man, he says, come over here and read from this. And this young man without without missing a beat, started reading in Hebrew. I had no idea he even spoke the language. And he got done, and, and he, I, he only read a verse. And I looked at him and I said, that was impressive. I said, how did you know what you were reading? And even the rabbi was curious by this point and said, I don't know. I just started reading words. I don't know what I read. And the rabbi said, well, you read what you would call the book of Exodus. And you were reading the Ten Commandments. And see, in the Jewish synagogue, the Pentateuch is the five books we have in Scripture. But it's in one large scroll, one endless writing from Moses. For us, though, we have it broken into five distinct books. The book of Genesis, which talks about God creating in the world. But it also talks not just about the beauty of creation, but it also talks about sin and the fall of humankind. And how evil, how evil can so easily get into our lives. Can trick us, if you will. And in doing so, separates us from God. We also hear of how God, through Noah even in his anger, wiping away the world, shows that he will save his people. And in doing so, creates a covenant with us all. A covenant with you. A covenant of mercy and love and grace. We shift into the book of Exodus and we begin to hear how oppression holds down the people of Israel. And that even in that, God shows up. God speaks through someone who we would never envision. Through Moses. A man who, for all intents and purposes, is not the most articulate speaker. In fact, Moses had a major speech impediment. And for him to then be called by God and said, go and set my people free. Go to the pharaohs and say to the pharaohs, let my people go. For Moses, that was a task beyond something he thought he was ever going to be able to do. And yet God had all the faith in Moses to go and do this work. And in doing so, we see how God sets the oppressed free. And in truth, how God sets us free as well. That when we feel oppressed when we feel so overwhelmed, we can turn to the book of Exodus and be reminded that God will, will take away that oppression. We then begin in the book of Leviticus, that beautifully written book of rules and laws that I'm sure all of you follow today with accuracy. And the truth is we don't. But there are those within the Israel culture even today who still follow those rules because they came from God as guidance, as law to say, here is how you shall live your life. It's how you shall live for me. And then we shift into the book of Numbers and we see how the Israelites begin to follow Moses out of Egypt. And finally, the book of Deuteronomy. We finish with the book of Deuteronomy, which is a statement on the Moses law, the Mosaic law that Moses passes down. This morning you heard from chapter 6, these nine verses. This is a critical place in the book of Deuteronomy. Why? Because it's quoted again later in scripture.
1: It's quoted by Jesus.
0: In fact, Jesus says to you, I give you a new commandment. You see, Jesus is reminding the people of Israel of what Moses said to them generations before. Generations before. These five books, the Pentateuch, the beginning of our Bible, demonstrates for us God's creation and love in the world. It talks about redemption. It talks about how the oppressed shall be free. It talks about you and how God so loves you that he spoke into your life, that he breathes love into your life. That no matter whether you have sinned and feel you have fallen away from God, whether you feel oppressed, God shall redeem you. For the people of Israel, they had to follow laws. And they were told, when this occurs, bring an unblemished lamb to the altar. Slaughter the altar. Because this is where you will be redeemed and forgiven. Yet for us, God turns around later in the Gospels, doesn't He? And says, I shall be the one to provide for you this offering, this offering atonement for your sins to where we no longer have to bring a gift when we sin. This covenant between God and us is so powerful because it reminds us of what He desires for you and me. When Moses speaks in this sixth chapter, he opens up and he says, this is the commandment, the statutes and ordinance that the Lord your God has charged to me with. He says, He has instructed me to teach you so that when you enter into the land, for them this was the land of Israel. He says, when you have entered into this place, this is how you shall live. This is how you shall love. And when doing this, he says, which God does for you, This is your children and your children's children. May they may fear the Lord. May they love the Lord because of the example that you shall set by holding these commands and this in your heart. Living for your God. You shall change the world by doing
1: this. And if you do this, He says,
0: the land shall flow with milk and honey. It shall be precious and beautiful. And so he goes on and by verse 4 he says, now here's what you have to do. This isn't a choice, he says. This isn't an option, he says. He says, this is what you need to do. Love your God alone. Love your God with all your heart with all your might, with all your soul. He says this, don't just love God on Sunday mornings when you're in church. Don't love God when, when you just fall to your knees and, and it just seems like it's the only option. He says you need to love God with everything you have, all the time, and everywhere you go. Never, he says, be ashamed. Never be quiet about this love for God. Because if you do this, if you do this, he says, then your children
1: and your children's children and your children's children's children, they shall all be blessed
0: by your example. And then he closes in verse 80. He says, bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead so that when someone encounters you in the world, whether they are shaking your hand or looking you in the eye, they will know that you are a child of God, that God is first and foremost in your life and that you know that you are loved and are forgiven. And that that person you encounter has that same gift given to them through a smile, through a handshake, maybe even sometimes a hug. And then Moses says, and then also you need to fix this on your doorposts so that anyone that enters your home, that anyone comes into your place, they will know that this is a house that serves our God. First, above all else, this is God's house, not ours. That God has blessed us with this home. And that all that come into it are welcomed. All that enter are loved, regardless of how far they have fallen from God. No matter what sins they carry, they are embraced because this is a house of God. He says, do this, and you shall be blessed. Do this, and you, you will see the light that I shine into your life. This is these first five books. This is where, if nowhere else you can turn, is open up the Bible at the very beginning and see the creation story, See the fall of humankind. See the oppression that exists. And be reminded of the joy and the hope that exists in life. All with God at our center. That is our joy, friends. That is our love. And that is my hope for you. Is that that this book begins to open up for you. Whether it's the first time in your life. Or whether it's a reminder of a gift you have always known that you are his beloved sons and daughters who he spoke life into. And he said, without a doubt, without hesitation, it is good. It is good. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Render your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent, and leave a blessing behind him, a grain of offering, and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the aged. Gather the children, even infants at their breasts. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. And do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said, among the peoples, where is their God? Now I have a bit of confession to share with you. Yesterday I had to get up at, at 5 a.m. and then go up to Bowling Green for a swim meet. And I got home about 10 o'clock last night. So, so I'm a bit tired this morning, and when I woke up this morning, as my alarm went off, I laid there and thought to myself, this would be a great day to just, just lay here. It is really comfortable. I don't know why, but it was really comfortable this morning. Have you ever had that, though, happen to you? Like, you wake up in the morning, and you're just like, I could just lay here for a while longer. Yeah." You're all sitting there like, yeah, pastor, we could push the service back a couple hours. I'd be real happy. But the truth is that comfort can distract us, doesn't it? Sometimes the comfort, whether it's of our bed or that nice chair in the living room, it can distract us from things we know we want to get done. huh? I mean, that happens all the time. It happens true within even our world. The world can distract us from what we want to accomplish. I was thinking just the other day of the fact that sometimes I wanna do nothing more than turn the TV on and watch some show. And then when I finish watching that show, I think to myself, why did I just do that? The show distracted me. Marketing individuals are so good at this, aren't they? They create, whether it's a television show a commercial, there's stuff in the magazine, it just grabs our attention. It just sucks us in and keeps us there. The other a few weeks ago, I, I was thinking back to the fire in Paris at that beautiful cathedral as it burned. Thinking how as I watched that intently in front of my computer screen as the images rolled one right after the other, how I didn't want to stop watching. I wanted to keep seeing what was happening. That scene had grabbed my attention. It had grabbed my focus. Granted, I, I had a connection to that building. I'd been there many times over my life. I'd been inside. I'd been down in the catacombs. I'd even been up on that roof that collapsed. And had the honor one time of going up there, walking the steps to the up the towers and then one time when we were up there a guy said do you want to go across the roof and i said sure and so we did and uh, it was magnificent to be able to have that experience i remember telling our daughter bren i said i said yeah i got to climb to the top of the notre dame cathedral and look out over paris and even got to walk across the roof and and i said and it was amazing because to get up there you had to walk on your tippy toes up hundreds and hundreds of steps. And, and I said, the steps themselves were probably no more than four or five inches wide, made of stone. And there was no handrail to hold onto. And, and the narrow passage was probably not much wider than this pulpit was. And so you had to kind of walk sideways to go up this winding circle staircase to the top. She looked at me without hesitation and she said, why did you do that? Why would you want to do that? And it's a powerful message because what it was was that building, that structure, that place had grabbed my attention. And I wanted to experience it all. I wanted to see it all. The beautiful artwork that was inside. The masonry work that that went into building that structure. I wanted to experience it. And so I was was there for hours on end, exploring, because it had grabbed my attention. Scripture is the same way. The Word of God can be the same way for any of us. And we've been journeying through this and and we come to a place in Scripture where we begin to talk about the prophets of the Bible. Now, there are a lot of prophets within Scripture. In particular, we're talking about the 12 prophets of the Old Testament. Now, there are two groups that these prophets fall into. they are the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, I asked... When I was at New Beginnings this morning of the two confirmation students, I said, okay, pop quiz. Tell me the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets. (laughs) Molly, Grady, how you doing? So can you tell us the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? No.
2: (laughs) Do you want to take a guess
0: at the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? No. They don't want to do that either. That's okay. Do any of you know the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, you two see? No one out there raises their hands. But that's okay, because we're going we're to help you all out. All right, so there are five major prophets, 12 minor prophets, and the difference is very simple. In fact, the difference is probably not even something you thought would think of. So the major prophets, they include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and even in the book of Lamentations. We have these major prophets. Now, what do you think, Grady, if you were to take a random, wild, crazy guess, why do we call them the major prophets? Because they are major prophets.
2: Brilliant. <laughs> uh,
0: we're going to continue confirmation next week. <laughs> all right, all right. Now I get to pick on someone. All right, sir. Why are they called the major prophets? Why are you looking behind you at Dwayne? I, I, did, I didn't even say Dwayne. Yeah, you turned around and looked right at you. What do you think it is? You can take a guess. Great guess. His guess was very good. What do you think, man? They're longer. They're longer. Longer, like tall, or they're taller. Okay. <laughs> well, actually, her answer is correct. The major prophets in Scripture, the writings, are actually longer than the major minor prophets. The minor prophets are short letters usually, but the writings are much shorter. So, very good. You can have cake. <laughs> no. sorry yeah, but if she's nice she might
2: share I share. listened in Old Testament say what I listened in Old
0: Testament did you listen okay good so we have the answer they are that's the only real difference between the major and minor prophets is the writings are longer and, and the point isn't why but the point is that there is valuable information in both sets whether it's a major or minor. So one person, one student I asked that question of, and they said, without missing a beat, well, the major ones are the ones we read and should pay attention to. The minor ones we just kind of ignore because they like haven't been promoted to major yet. And I was thinking about that. And of course, he played baseball. So I understood his reference at that point. And I was like, no, they're not going to get promoted to the major someday. There have always been minor prophets. But it's these books, all of these books, the Minor and Major Prophets, which begin to point to something powerful for us. It, to me, they begin to remind us of the connection we have with God. The connection we have with God. If we, if we go back to the book of Isaiah and, and we read that passage again, it's, it, I'm going to tell you, it, it's a passage that for me was one of those moments when I heard so clearly from God. I, I can tell you one, the exact moment when I first heard those words that we heard from Grady this morning out of the prophet Isaiah in that 40th chapter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? I mean, when those words were first spoken and I heard those out loud, they hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like God himself was speaking to me. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. This is my favorite part. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And when I heard those words, it was like God looked right at me and he said, you will have my strength. You will be renewed by my spirit. And when I renew you, you shall run, not walk. You shall fly, not crawl. That the world, the broken world that you live in, it will never beat you down as long as you have me at the center of your life. I and mean, when the prophet Isaiah is telling the people of Israel this, but he told me this right in my heart. I heard those words, and it just knocked me back. And I can remember having tears well up in my eyes as I heard those words spoke. I was in a concert. With about 10,000 other people. But it was like the man who was on stage saying those words. He spoke them and he was talking right to me. You see, the prophets in Scripture do this for us. They give us these words and these messages from God. Because God knows that sometimes He has to use His people. He has to use spokespeople to speak to all of us. And this has been happening over the history of humankind. I think back to John and Charles Wesley and those that spoke into their lives as they grew, as they matured. And I think about the one person that, as I began to learn about these two, that I would have never thought would have spoken into their lives because of the time period that they grew up in. I And mean, they grew up in the early 1700s when it was still a male-dominated society. And yet, the one person that really touched their hearts and their lives was their mother, Susanna. Some, some, some colleagues of mine have said, the reason the Methodist church exists is not because of John and Charles Wesley, but because of their mother, Susanna, who spoke into their lives when they were little kids. And they held on to those words as they began to walk with Christ in the world. I think of all the individuals throughout history that have spoken truth into our lives because God has called upon them to be his spokespeople. There's a Hebrew word. It's, it's spelled N-A-B-I. Navi. This, this Navi word translated in some circles is translated to spokesman. But the true meaning of the word means to bubble up. And when we apply it to someone speaking, it means for them to bubble up a message, to declare the word of God to the world. And if you think about it, if you think about it, God's message, God's word has come down to us from the heavens through his people. And it is those people that have then taken the word that has floated down from heaven into their hearts and then raised it up for us to hear. <clears throat> and the prophets, time and again, show us the way. And the prophet Jeremiah says, Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have set to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up and sending them Sending them. We all, at one level or another, we may not find ourselves to be prophets as these great prophets are, but each of us have to proclaim the message of God to someone. Augustine says, preach the gospel to the whole world, and if you must, use words. If you must, use words we get all of this out of this book these prophets that have gone before us these prophets to go to share the message of hope and love of Jesus Christ they're still existing today and we must wrestle with who is truly being sent by God and who is truly being false prophets and that will always be in existence but if we listen to their voices if we hear God speaking through them and we will and we will know it Because that is what Jesus says is the promise of the Holy Spirit as he spoke to the disciples and he said, I leave you but the great advocate, the one that will come and teach you, the one that will come and show you the way, the Holy Spirit, and it will inspire you. But we must not stop learning. We must not stop listening. Just as these two students realized their journey has not ended today, but it is truly only just beginning. Because we must seek Christ in the world, in this broken, hurting world. Now, I'm going to have them, they don't know they're doing this, but they're going to have me help demonstrate this. You guys ready? Grady's like, sure. Not sure what I signed up for. Molly's like, can I not do this? So you two have to come over here. And you just stand right here in the center. And face that. No, no, a little bit more. They might have more patient, I don't know. now. as you two recall, we, we did some things in confirmation, right? Yeah, yeah. Remember that one time when we went away? We did a we did the retreat, remember that? Yeah. Yeah? Is that fun? Yeah. Yeah? They were very excited. You want to do that again?
2: Yeah. Yeah. What was
0: your bit? This is interview time. What was the best part of the retreat? Grading was the best part of the retreat? Okay. Can you elaborate. What did you do? What was the best part of the retreat? I'm sorry, I have to know what it says. Amen. <laughs> you did have your cookies, and you were gone that first night. I've never seen cookies fly out of a box so fast. They good, though, weren't they? Yeah. What else was the best part? Oh, that. No, we're not telling you that. <laughs> I now know what you saying. What? Let's just say, let's just put they had had a project they were working on, right? To to, we went to Whitewater Retreat Center up near Grand Rapids, and and the students with some of the adults uh, were asked to go over. They have a swimming pool there, you didn't know. And there's there's a locker room, and some students were asked to go in the locker room with paint, and they did that, and it's beautiful there now. Um, I actually went and saw it. But while they were doing this, they made some new friends. And we're just going to leave it at that. No. <laughs> but they did have an opportunity to do some other things. They showed they, their artistic ability. They showed their artistic ability. Right, they their artistic ability. Uh, since you only have really one good hand, you're going to hold this. Okay, This is their artistic ability. Beautifully created. Um, they spent some time creating this. And it's a reminder, and, we've done, and I've done this with students in the past, but it's a reminder that in the muck of life, sometimes it's very hard to see Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to see Christ in the muck of life, in this broken world we live in. But if we look closely, we can begin to see Him. We can be reminded of the glorious light that is Jesus Christ. See, that's what the prophets speak of. Isaiah very clearly tells us about the coming Christ. And the love that Jesus has for the world. You know what to do next? Yeah, yeah. go ahead and do it. Uh, I'm going stand in front of him for a minute. And, and so I had the students create this artwork. Because at the end result of this, it's the reminder of the love that God has for each of you. Because when we look closely, if we look closely we'll see that cross that stands out. That light that exists in the world. The light that. God for you, what love he has for you. And it doesn't require you to have some massive faith that says I know it all. It requires you to humbly go before the cross and say in this craziness of life that I live, I still know you're there. And so we created this image and I had a a cross covered up and painted over it. And it was just a reminder, I hope to them, and I hope to you and to me and to the world even if we can't see it initially it's always there it's always, always there and the prophets, that's what they speak of they speak of this reminder of the love that God has for you Molly read you—you from, from the prophet Joel that even in the Old Testament times in the ancient times
1: God's love was consistent, it was always there always present. And it still is today. That was one of the messages, really the biggest message the prophets said. God loves you. God's never going to leave you. Even when the monk of life seems to cover up the cross, it is always still there. You just have to look for it. You just
0: have to keep looking. And so friends, that's my prayer for all of us on this Confirmation Sunday is that you can be encouraged to continue to explore your faith, your relationship with Christ. However, that might be for you. And if you don't know, if you're like, Pastor, I want to know, but I don't know, here is where it starts. This place, this holy place where Christ exists, this is where it may begin. This is where it will always continue. For He is always here in this holy place. Now, well, we've been journeying over the last several weeks through Scripture, which has led up to today. So we began in the Old Testament with the creation story in the Pentateuch, in which God begins to create the world. And in his creation, he says, it is good. We hear and witness the fall of humankind through Adam and Eve. But we also see of God's mercy, his forgiveness. We then shifted into the historical books in which we also then begin to see how for the people of Israel, they struggle between the world and God, going back and forth. But in all of those moments, God shows forgiveness, love, and mercy, a testament to our own lives. When we ourselves begin to pull away from God, a life centered on Christ. And wonder, will God accept me back? God, look at me and give me forgiveness. We can start in the Old Testament and begin to see how God does that for his people. And then we shifted it into the wisdom literature. Which we begin to see the beauty of God as he guides our lives. As he reminds us through Proverbs, through Psalms and the other wisdom literature writings. That we are guided in our decision makings, guided in our lives. But also reminded there is suffering that we will encounter. But Yet God shows us the way to live in all of that. And then we hear from the prophets. Those that God had tapped on the shoulders and said, You shall be my voice in the wilderness. You shall be my voice to my people to share my message when they refuse to listen when they miss the signs that I have placed before them, you shall be my voice. We heard from the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah, but we also hear how God even taps those outside his circle to share his message of redemption, of hope, and of love with the world. We see a God in the Old Testament, not a God of wrath or of vengefulness, a God of love and of mercy. Over and over, His people fall away. And over and over, God redeems them. But we also, when you begin to spend time in the Old Testament, hear of the coming of the Messiah, the one and true way that God will redeem all His children. We hear of the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. The one that will be sent by God into the world. And so today we begin the New Testament. We begin in the Gospels. The word Gospel in and of itself translates to good news. These are the books of the good news. The good news that came to you is going out to all the world and changing lives everywhere we read. It is this message In these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which transforms the lives of all of God's children. And it starts with you and with me. Now, a little bit about the gospel writings themselves. Now, some of you may know this, and maybe some don't. So who can tell me which of the four books comes first? And if you need help, there's Bibles in your pews. You can open up to the New Testament and look. But who knows which one comes first? Do you know, Neil? Matt, you got four. I mean, this is what I told you last year You got a 25% chance of getting it right. There's, there's Matthew. He says Matthew. Okay. Anyone else want to take a guess? Alicia, do you know? You say Matthew comes first as well. Okay. Any other guesses? There's three other choices. Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know? Yes, I'm pointing right to you. Me? Yes, you. I'm just going to take a stab and say Luke just to be different. Okay, she's going to be different. She's going to be the rebel of the church. All right, she's going with Luke. Anyone else want to guess one of the other two books? Do we have anyone for Mark today? No one wants to choose Mark. How about John? All silence. All right, that's good. Well, if you open your Bibles, you will notice that Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, and then John. It's a trick question. It's a very trick question because the answer is none of them. (laughs) It's actually the first writing is not in the gospel accounts. It's not in the canonical scriptures. The first actual what we believe to be the first writing of the gospels. Are you ready for this? Is the Gospel of Q. How many of you heard of the Gospel of Q? Good. My education in seminary paid for something. Amen. (laughs) I will tell my professors this. They will love me for it. Alright, so here you go. You're going to learn a little something today. The Gospel of Q, which is not found in the scripture writings, but is in the scripture writings. You have all read, if you've read the Gospel accounts, read the Gospel of Q. So we have to back up a little bit to antiquity. So in the early days, when people wanted to tell stories, they did not write it down. What they did is they would come and they would sit, and then others would gather around the foot of the teacher and they would tell the stories. It was an oral tradition society. Stories were passed on from one person to the next via teachings. Now, granted, we all know the telephone game, right? So if I came down and whispered something to Neil and told Neil a story, and then Neil told a man and it went around the room, by the time it got back to me, it would be completely different. Like I'd go to Neil and say, okay, Neil, uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day and it's a great day to barbecue. By the time it got back to me, it would be, tomorrow is a great day for frogs and snails. I don't know how that works, but it just does. It changes completely. That's how it works, doesn't it? The difference is, in antiquity, in that time when Jesus was alive, and even after his passing, the story would have remained the same because it was much more powerful for them because that was the only modes of communication they had. But then someone decided one day to write down the sayings that Jesus spoke. Not the history, not the stories, but just the sayings. And this is where the Gospel of Q, which is not just the letter Q, but it's Q-U, I don't know the rest of the spelling, Q-U-E-U-E, something like that. And basically, in the Greek, it would translate to the Gospel of Sayings. This was a book that theologians believe does exist. We've never truly found it, but they believe it exists because of the, the way the four Gospels connect to one another. Now, it was a trick question, but it wasn't. The actual writing that we believe to be first is the Gospel of Mark, not the Gospel of Matthew. It is believed the Gospel of Mark does come first very shortly after the crucifixion story, within the first couple of years. The exact time is not known, but we believe in the maybe 10 to 12 years after that point. Then shortly thereafter, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew show up on the scene very close to each other. Most theologians believe Matthew came before Luke. And then finally, probably approximately 50 years after the crucifixion, the Gospel of John shows up on the scene. Now, these four gospel accounts all tell the story of Jesus. It is believed that the gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke are very well connected. When you read those three gospel accounts, you hear very similar stories, very similar approaches to the message. They all uh, do serve a different purpose. Now, the gospel of Mark is believed to be written to the Jewish community shortly after their first attempt at a revolt, which was a complete failure. They wanted to rise up against the Roman world, and they lost. They were defeated. They were broken. It is believed that the Gospel of Mark was written to those individuals. The Gospel of Matthew, which again pulls from this Gospel of Q, but also pulls from the Gospel of Mark itself, was written to the community who was struggling between what they wanted to do for themselves and what the Pharisees were teaching them. In other words, they wanted to follow Jesus, but the Pharisees were telling them something different. So there was a struggle with them. And then later we get the the Gospel of Luke, which was written to a completely different audience. It was written to the Gentiles of the day, not to the Jewish community. But yet it used the same structure, the same format as the Gospel of Matthew. And then finally we settle on the Gospel of John. Now, if you've studied these four Gospels ever before, you will notice the Gospel of John is completely unique and different than the other three Gospels. The way it approaches the stories of Jesus, some of the stories aren't even in the Gospel of John. For example, Jesus going for the Last Supper. The approach of that is different. In fact, the Gospel of John has Jesus washing feet. But it's written because... In the Gospel of John, it looks at interpreting and trying to understand the symbolic way in which Jesus is in our lives. It can be a very powerful book. Powerful reading. I had a seminary professor, a New Testament seminary professor. Her doctorate degree was only on the Gospel of John. For five and a half years, she studied this one book and wrote her dissertation on just the Gospel of John. But all four Gospels in and of themselves bring together an important story for our lives. And that is the truth that resides in Jesus Christ. It is the hope that is found in Jesus. The hope for you, for me, for the world that exists out there. You heard this morning of the stories, the parables. In fact, you heard parts of three parables. You heard of... The Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake, for their kingdom is of heaven. Those who are persecuted, Jesus says, shall be blessed. Those who revile and persecute you, bless them as well. Bless them as well. Rejoice, he tells the people, and be glad for your reward is in heaven not in here. He then shifts and he talks about the salt of the earth. He tells this parable and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can saltness be restored? And then he shifts and he says, And oh, by the way, you are the light of the world. You are a city built on a hill which cannot be hidden. All reminding us that you have the light of God within you. God who created you. You
1: have that power to be transformative
0: of the world. All of this comes from Jesus. All of this is found in the gospel messages. The gospel of John, which opens up completely different. It says, I in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Translated. Jesus was in the beginning when you were formed in God's heart and image. You were there with Jesus at the very, very beginning of time. Jesus was with God and Jesus is God. And all things go through Jesus. The light, in verse 5, of the first chapter of John says, The light shines in the darkness and here's the good word the darkness does not overcome it. Hope is found here in these gospel messages, these four powerful and amazing books. God so loved the world, you know this verse, that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. God's promise to you. The fulfillment which He promised at the beginning with Moses through the Old Testament and to this point says that when you believe in Me, you shall have eternal life. That I sent My Son into the world for you. Born in a dark, dingy, cold place for you. That I came into the world because of you. To show you the way home. And we listen and we hear and we read of Jesus' ministry through the parables in which he teaches us. The Gospel of Matthew tells us in the 13th chapter, because the disciples look to Jesus and say, why do you tell us these parables? And he says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to some it has not. But yet through these stories, And through these parables, you shall know God. You shall hear the voice. Isaiah the prophet had said, you will indeed listen, but never understand. You will indeed look, but never perceive. But through Jesus' message, Isaiah says, you shall know the God of heaven. Through all of this, we begin to understand who God is for us in our lives. We begin to find comfort when it seems like all is lost. We begin to find the reminder that there is joy for us in our lives. Even when it seems like the world and evil is taking it all away. And we know this to be true because of the cross. Because God sent his son to suffer To be broken and beaten for us. And to go to a cross and be nailed for you and me. And never once stopping on the way. Never once giving up. Never once saying, this is too much. They don't need hope anymore. But he doesn't. He goes and he suffers and he dies on that cross for us so that we would always have hope and we find this in the gospel messages. And then, oh, God shows us victory on the other side of that cross, on the other side of death, pain, suffering. Because we see Mary running to the tomb and then proclaiming the good news to the disciples when she returns finds them hiding. And she says, He is risen. He is alive. And death, death has lost. And so we ask ourselves, how do we live this out in the world? How do we go and do we share this good news? Because the truth is, as Jesus tells us, as we heard in the Matthew, we cannot hide this light under a bushel. We must be that light in the world. We must go and share. That is God's commandment to us. Now I know, and I've heard it over the years, individuals say, but I am not comfortable. I am not comfortable preaching to others about Jesus. It's just hard to share that because they're going to get angry or they might run away or I'm just not there. So what do I do? And I say, do you love? Will you greet with kindness? Will you step out in faith and serve others? I've shared with students many times over the years. Will you go and feed the homeless, clothed? The naked. Visit the sick. And if the answer is yes, then you are sharing the gospel message. You are sharing that hope with the world. Because we must not keep it locked away. There's a story that I read not too long ago about a violinist. And he had earned his fortune playing concerts, writing music, but every time he earned money he gave it away. Until one day he learned of this very famous and very rare violin that was going to be for sale. And so he made the choice to stop sharing his wealth with the world so that one day he could buy this violin for himself. When he saved enough money, he went to purchase that violin only to find out that the violin had been sold. He searched out the new owner and went to the new owner and said, Sir, I have enough money to give you for what you paid for this violin. Would you sell it to me? The new owner said, No, it's a rare item. I will not give it away. The composer said, Well, I'll give you double for what you paid. The owner said, no, I will not sell it. The composer, with his head down, turned and went to leave. The new owner saw all this and said, wait a minute, I have an idea. Would you play, play a piece on it for me? Because I don't know how to play music. The violinist perked up and said, absolutely. And he went and he played a piece that brought tears to the new owner's heart and eyes. He gracefully thanked the new owner for allowing him to play on this very rare, exquisite violin. And as he went to leave, the new owner stopped him once again and said, Sir, stop. I cannot in good heart keep this precious gift for myself. So I ask of one thing for you. I will give you the violin. But you must agree to play for the world. This rarity cannot be locked up. It cannot be hidden. And he went and he played for the world on that rare violin. And the same must be true of the gospel message. That this good news that we know, this good news that we hold in our hearts that can give us comfort when we are broken, that can remind us that there is always joy and hope in the world, even when it seems that all is lost, we must be the group that shares that with the world. We must be that friendly face to the lost soul. We must step out in faith and to serve the broken and the needy. Even when we don't know what to do, even when we don't know what to say, we must go out in faith into the world. And tell the world that there is always hope found in Jesus Christ. That there is always love found in that cross. Which seems to be used for pain and suffering. Yet through that,
1: there is joy.
0: And I say to you, if you don't know what else to say. If you know no other words to say, just go and do. Because when we serve God first. Yeah,
1: the truth is, we don't need words. We don't need words to share that
0: message. Now I have a bit of confession to share with you. Yesterday I had to get up at, at 5 a.m. and then go up to Bowling Green for a swim meet. And I got home about 10 o'clock last night. So, so I'm a bit tired this morning. And when I woke up this morning, as my alarm went off, I laid there and thought to myself, this would be a great day to just just lay here. It is really comfortable. I don't know why, but it was really comfortable this morning. Have you ever had that, though, happen to you? Like, you wake up in the morning and you're just like, I could just lay here for a while longer. (laughs) Yeah, you're all sitting there like, yeah, pastor, we could push the service back a couple hours. I'd be real happy. But the truth is that comfort can distract us, doesn't it? Sometimes the comfort, whether it's of our bed or that nice chair in the living room, it can distract us from things we know we want to get done. huh? I mean, that happens all the time. It happens true within even our world. The world can distract us from what we want to accomplish. I was thinking just the other day of the fact that Sometimes I want to do nothing more than turn the TV on and watch some show. And then when I finish watching that show, I think to myself, why did I just do that? The show distracted me. Marketing individuals are so good at this, aren't they? They create, whether it's a television show, a commercial, there's stuff in a magazine. It just grabs our attention. It just sucks us in and keeps us there. A few weeks ago, I, I was thinking back to the fire in Paris at that beautiful cathedral as it burned. Thinking how as I watched that intently in front of my computer screen as the images rolled one right after the other, how I didn't want to stop watching. I wanted to keep seeing what was happening. That scene had grabbed my attention. It had grabbed my focus. Granted, I, I had a connection to that building. I'd been there many times over my life. I'd been inside. I'd been down in the catacombs. I'd even been up on that roof that collapsed. and had the honor one time of going up there, walking the steps to the, up the towers. And then one time when we were up there, a guy said, do you want to go across the roof? And I said, sure. And so we did. And uh, it was magnificent to be able to have that experience. I remember telling our daughter, Bren, I said, I said, yeah, I gotta climb to the top of the Notre Dame Cathedral and look out over Paris and even got to walk across the roof. And And I said, and it was amazing because to get up there, you had to walk on your tippy toes up hundreds and hundreds of steps. And I said, the steps themselves were probably no more than four or five inches wide, made of stone. There was no handrail to hold on to. And, and the narrow passage was probably not much wider than this pulpit was. And so you had to kind of walk sideways to go up this winding circle staircase to the top. She looked at me without hesitation. and She said, why did you do that? Why would you want to do that? And it's a powerful message because what it was was that building, that structure, that place had grabbed my attention. And I wanted to experience it all. I wanted to see it all. The beautiful artwork that was inside. The masonry work that that went into building that structure. I wanted to experience it. And so I was was there for hours on end. Exploring. Because it had grabbed my attention. Scripture is the same way. The word of God can be the same way for any of us. And we've been... ...journeying through this, and, and we come to a place in Scripture where we begin to talk about the prophets of the Bible. Now, there are a lot of prophets within Scripture. In particular, we're talking about the 12 prophets of the Old Testament. Now, there are two groups that these prophets fall into. They're the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, I asked when I was at New Beginnings this morning of the two confirmation students, I said, okay... Pop quiz, tell me the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets. <laughs> Molly, Grady, how you doing? So can you tell us the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? No.
2: <laughs> do you want to take a guess
0: at the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? No, they don't want to do that either. That's Okay. Do any of you know the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, do you two see? No one out there raised their hands. But that's okay, because we're going we're to help you all out. All right, so there are five major prophets, 12 minor prophets. And the difference is very simple. In fact, the difference is probably not even something you thought would think of. So the major prophets, they include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and even in the book of Lamentations, we have these major prophets. Now, what do you think, Grady, if you were to take a random, wild, crazy guess, why do we call them the major prophets? Because they are major prophets.
2: Because they are major prophets. Brilliant. <laughs>
0: Uh, we're gonna continue confirmation next week. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Now I get a pick on someone. All right, sir. Why are they called the Major Prophets? Why are you looking behind you at Dwayne? I look Dwayne. I, did I didn't you say Dwayne, but he turned around and looked right at you. What do you think it is? You get to take a guess. Great guess. His guess wasn't very good. What do you think, Anne? They're longer. They're longer. Longer, like, taller? They're taller. Okay. Well, actually, her answer is correct. The major prophets in Scripture, the writings are actually longer than the major minor prophets. The minor prophets are short letters, usually. But the writings are much shorter, so very good. You can have cake later. <laughs> no. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But if she's nice, she might
2: share. I share. listened in Old Testament. Say what? I listened in Old
0: Testament. Did you listen? Okay. Good. So, we have the answer. They are. That's the only real difference between the major and minor prophets is the writings are longer. And And the point isn't why, but the point is that there is valuable information in both sets. Whether it's a major or minor. So, one person, one student I asked that question of, and they said, without missing a beat, well, the major ones are the ones we read and should pay attention to. The minor ones we just kind of ignore because they like, haven't been promoted to major yet. And I was thinking about that. And, of course, he played baseball, so I understood his reference at that point. And I was like, no, they're not going to get promoted to the major someday. they have always been minor prophets. But it's these books, all of these books, the Minor and Major Prophets, which begin to point to something powerful for us. It, to me, they begin to remind us of the connection we have with God. The connection we have with God. If we, if we go back to the book of Isaiah and, and we read that passage again, it's, it, I'm going to tell you, it, it's a passage that for me was one of those moments when I heard so clearly from God. I can tell you one the exact moment when I first heard those words that we heard from Grady this morning out of the prophet Isaiah's in that 40th chapter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? I mean, when those words were first spoken and I heard those out loud, they hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like God himself was speaking to me. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. This is my favorite part. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And when I heard those words, it was like God looked right at me and he said, You will have my strength. You will be renewed by my spirit. And when I renew you, you shall run, not walk. You shall fly, not crawl. And that the world, the broken world that you live in, it will never beat you down as long as you have me at the center of your life. And when the prophet Isaiah is telling the people of Israel this, but he told me this right in my heart. I heard those words, and it just knocked me back. And I can remember having tears well up in my eyes as I heard those words spoke. I was in a concert. With about 10,000 other people. But it was like the man who was on stage saying those words. He spoke them and he was talking right to me. You see, the prophets in Scripture do this for us. They give us these words and these messages from God. Because God knows that sometimes He has to use His people. He has to use spokespeople to speak to all of us. And this has been happening over the history of humankind. I think back to John and Charles Wesley and those that spoke into their lives as they grew, as they matured. And I think about the one person that, as I began to learn about these two, that I would have never thought would have spoken into their lives because of the time period that they grew up in. And they grew up in the early 1700s when it was still a male-dominated society. And yet, the one person that really touched their hearts and their lives was their mother, Susanna. Some, some, some colleagues of mine have said, the reason the Methodist church exists is not because of John and Charles Wesley, but because of their mother, Susanna, who spoke into their lives when they were little kids. And they held on to those words as they began... To walk with Christ in the world. I think of all the individuals throughout history. That have spoken truth into our lives. Because God has called upon them. To be his spokespeople. There's a Hebrew word. It's spelled N-A-B-I. Nave. This this Navi word translated in some circles is translated to spokesman. But the true meaning of the word means to bubble up. And when we apply it to someone speaking, it means for them to bubble up a message. To declare the word of God to the world. And if you think about it, if you think about it, God's message, God's word has come down to us from the heavens. Through his people. And it is those people that have then taken the word that has floated down from heaven into their hearts and then raised it up for us to hear. And the prophets, time and again, show us the way. And the prophet Jeremiah says Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have set to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up and sending them sending them we all at one level or another we may not find ourselves to be prophets as these great prophets are but each of us have to proclaim the message of God to someone Augustine says preach the gospel to the whole world and if you must use words if you must use words We get all of this out of this book. These prophets that have gone before us. These prophets to go to share the message of hope and love of Jesus Christ. They're still existing today. And we must wrestle with who is truly being sent by God and who is truly being false prophets. And that will always be in existence. But if we listen to their voices, if we hear God speaking through them, and we will, and we will know it. Because that is what Jesus says is the promise of the Holy Spirit as he spoke to the disciples and he said, I leave you but the great advocate, the one that will come and teach you, the one that will come and show you the way, the Holy Spirit, and it will inspire you. But we must not stop learning. We must not stop listening. Just as these two students realized their journey has not ended today, but it is truly only just beginning. Because we must seek Christ in the world, in this broken, hurting world. Now, I'm going to have them, they don't know they're doing this, but they're going to have me help demonstrate this. You guys ready? Grady's like, sure. Not sure what I signed up for. Molly's like, can I not do this? So you two have to come over here. And you just stand right here in the center and face that. Now, as you two recall, we, we did some things in confirmation, right? Yeah, yeah. Remember that one time when we went away? We did a we did the retreat. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that fun? Yeah. Yeah. We were very excited You want to do that again? Yeah. 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 What was your? Bit? This is an interview time. What was the best part of the retreat? Grading was the best part of the retreat. Okay. You to elaborate? What did you do? What was the best part of the retreat? I'm sorry. I have to know what this is.
2: Probably
0: Amen. Wow. You did have your cookies in, they were gone that first night. I've never seen cookies fly out of a box so fast. They are good though, weren't they? Yeah. What else was the best part? Oh, that. No, we're not telling you that. <laughs> I now know what you're this thing. What? Let's just say... new friends. <laughs> they, had the, they had a project they were working on, right, to, to, to we went to Whitewater Retreat Center up near Grand Rapids and, and the students, with some of the adults, uh, were asked to go over, they have a swimming pool there, you didn't know. And there's, there's a locker room and some students were asked to go and, and uh, the locker room with paint. And they did that and it's beautiful there now. Um, I actually went and saw it nice. But while they were doing this, they made some new friends. And we're just going to leave it at that. No. <laughs> but they did have an opportunity to do some other things. They showed their artistic ability. They showed their artistic ability. Right, they their artistic ability. Uh, since you only have really one good hand, you're going to hold this. Okay, This is their artistic ability. Beautifully created. Um, they spent some time creating this and it's a reminder, and, we've done, and I've done this with students in the past, but it's a reminder that in the muck of life, sometimes it's very hard to see Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to see Christ in the muck of life, in this broken world we live in. But if we look closely, we can begin to see Him. We can be reminded of the glorious light that is Jesus Christ. See, that's what the prophets speak of. Isaiah very clearly tells us about the coming Christ. And the love that Jesus has for the world. You know what to do next? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it. I'm going to stand in front of him for a minute. And and so I had the students create this artwork. Because at the end result of this, it's the reminder of the love that God has for each of you. Because when we we look closely, we'll see that cross that stands out. That light that exists in the world light of God for you, the love he has for you. And it doesn't require you to have some massive faith that says, I know it all. It requires you to humbly go before the cross and say, in this craziness of life that I live, I still know you're there. And so we created this image and I had a a cross covered up and I painted over it. And it was just a reminder, I hope to them, and I hope to you and to me and to the world, even if we can't see it initially, it's there. It's always, always there. And the prophets, that's what they speak of. They speak of this reminder of the love that God has for you. Molly read from, from the prophet Joel that even in the Old Testament times, in the ancient times, God's
1: love was consistent. It was always there always present, and it still is today. That was one of the messages, really the biggest message to the prophets here. God loves you. God's never going to leave you. Even when the monk of life seems to cover up the cross, it is always still there. You just have to look for it. You just
0: have to keep looking. And so friends, that's my prayer for all of us on this Confirmation Sunday is that you can be encouraged to continue to explore your faith, your relationship with Christ. However, that might be for you. And if you don't know, if you're like, Pastor, I want to know, but I don't know, here is where it starts. This place. This holy place where Christ exists. This is where it may begin. This is where it will always continue. For He is always here in this holy place. Now, I have a bit of confession to share with you. Yesterday, I had to get up at, at 5 a.m. and then go up to Bowling Green for a swim meet. And I got home about 10 o'clock last night. So, so I'm a bit tired this morning. And when I woke up this morning, as my alarm went off, I laid there and thought to myself, this would be a great day to just, just lay here. It is really comfortable. I don't know why, but it was really comfortable this morning. Have you ever had that, though, happen to you? Like, you wake up in the morning and you're just like, I could just lay here for a while longer. (laughs) Yeah, you're all sitting there like, yeah, Pastor, we could push the service back a couple hours. I'd be real happy. But the truth is that comfort can distract us, doesn't it? Sometimes the comfort whether it's of our bed, or that nice chair in the living room, it can distract us from things we know we want to get done. Huh? I mean, that happens all the time. It happens true within even our world. The world can distract us from what we want to accomplish. I was thinking just the other day of the fact that sometimes I want to do nothing more than turn the TV on and watch some show, and then when I finish watching that show, I think to myself, why did I just do that? Well, the show distracted me. Marketing individuals are so good at this, aren't they? They create, whether it's a television show, a commercial, there's stuff in the magazine, it just grabs our attention. It just sucks us in and keeps us there. The other a few weeks ago, I, I was thinking back to the fire in Paris at that beautiful cathedral as it burned. Thinking how, as I watched that intently in front of my computer screen as the images rolled one right after the other, how I didn't want to stop watching. I wanted to keep seeing what was happening. That scene had grabbed my attention. It had grabbed my focus. Granted, I, I had a connection to that building. I'd been there many times over my life. I'd been inside. I'd been down in the catacombs. I'd even been up on that roof that collapsed. and had the honor one time of going up there, walking the steps to the, up the towers. And then one time when we were up there, a guy said, do you want to go across the roof? And I said, sure. And so we did. and uh, It was magnificent to be able to have that experience. I remember telling our daughter, Bren, I said, I said yeah, I got to climb to the top of the Notre Dame Cathedral and look out over Paris, and even got to walk across the roof. And and I said, and it was amazing, because to get up there, you had to walk on your tippy toes up hundreds and hundreds of steps. And and I said, the steps themselves were probably no more than four or five inches wide, made of stone. And there was no handrail to hold onto, and, and the narrow passage was probably not much wider than this pulpit was. And so you had to kind of walk sideways to go up this winding circle staircase to the top. She looked at me without hesitation, and she said, why did you do that? Why would you want to do that? And it's a powerful message, because what it was was that building, that structure, that place had grabbed my attention. And I wanted to experience it all. I wanted to see it all. The beautiful artwork that was inside, the masonry work that... that went into building that structure. I wanted to experience it. And so I was was there for hours on end, exploring, because it had grabbed my attention. Scripture is the same way. The Word of God can be the same way for any of us. And we've been journeying through this, and and we come to a place in Scripture where we begin to talk about the prophets of the Bible. Now, there are a lot of prophets within Scripture, In particular, we're talking about the 12 prophets of the Old Testament. Now, there are two groups that these prophets fall into. they are the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, I asked when I was at New Beginnings this morning of the two confirmation students, I said, okay, pop quiz. Tell me the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets. (laughs) Molly, Grady, how you doing? So can you tell us the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? No. (laughs) Do you want to take a guess at the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? No. They don't want to do that either. That's okay. Do any of you know the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets? (coughs) Excuse me. Now, do you two see? No one out there raised their hands but that's okay cuz we're we're going to help you all out. All right, so there are five major prophets, 12 minor prophets. And the difference is very simple. In fact, the difference is probably not even something you thought would think of. So, the major prophets, they include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and even in the book of Lamentations. We have these major prophets. Now, what do you think, Grady, if you were to take a random, wild, crazy guess, why do we call them the major prophets? Because they are major prophets.
2: Because they are major prophets. Brilliant. (laughs) Uh,
0: We're going to continue confirmation next week. All right, all right. Now I get a pick on someone. All right, sir. Why are they called the major prophets? Why are you looking behind you at Dwayne? I I I didn't hear I, did I even say Dwayne. But yeah, he turned around and looked right at you. What do you think it is? You can take a guess. Great guess. His guess wasn't very good. What do you think, man?
2: They're longer.
0: They're longer. Longer, like taller. Sure. They're taller. Okay. <laughs> Well, actually, her answer is correct. The major prophets in Scripture, the writings are actually longer than the major minor prophets. The minor prophets are short letters, usually, but the writings are much shorter, so very good. You can have Kate later. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Yeah, her. But if she's nice, she might share. You I share. listened in Old Testament. Say what? I listened in Old Testament. Did you listen? Okay. Good. So we have the answer. They are. That's the only real difference between the major and minor prophets is the writings are longer. And, and the point isn't why, but the point is that there is valuable information in both sets, whether it's a major or minor. So one person, one student I asked that question of, and they said, without missing a beat, well, the major ones are the ones we read and should pay attention to. The minor ones we just kind of ignore because they like haven't been promoted to major yet. And I was thinking about that, and of course he played baseball, so I understood his reference at that point. And I was like, no, they're not going to get promoted to the major someday. There have always been minor prophets. But it's these books, all of these books, the minor and major prophets, which begin to point to something powerful for us. It, to me, they begin to remind us of the connection we have with God. The connection we have with God. If we, if we go back to the book of Isaiah and, and we read that passage again, it's, it, I'm going to tell you, it's a passage that for me was one of those moments when I heard so clearly from God. I, I can tell you one the exact moment when I first heard those words that we heard from Grady this morning out of the prophet Isaiah's that 40th chapter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? I mean, when those words were first spoken and I heard those out loud, they hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like God himself was speaking to me. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. This is my favorite part. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I heard those words. It was like God looked right at me and he said, you will have my strength. You will be renewed by my spirit. And when I renew you, you shall run, not walk. You shall fly, not crawl. And the world, the broken world that you live in, it will never beat you down as long as you have me at the center of your life. And the prophet Isaiah is telling the people of Israel this, but he told me this right in my heart. I heard those words and it just knocked me back. And I can remember having tears well up in my eyes as I heard those words spoke. I was in a concert with about 10,000 other people. But it was like the man who was on stage saying those words. He spoke them and He was talking right to me. You see, the prophets in Scripture do this for us. They give us these words and these messages from God. Because God knows that sometimes He has to use His people. He has to use spokespeople to speak to all of us. And this has been happening over the history of humankind. I think back to John and Charles Wesley. And those that spoke into their lives as they grew, as they matured. And I think about the one person that as I began to learn about these two, that I would have never thought would have spoken into their lives. Because of the time period that they grew up in. And they grew up in the early 1700s when it was still a male-dominated society. And yet, the one person that really touched their hearts and their lives was their mother, Susanna. Susanna. Some some colleagues of mine have said the reason the Methodist church exists is not because of John and Charles Wesley, but because of their mother, Susanna, who spoke into their lives when they were little kids. And they held on to those words as they began to walk with Christ in the world. I think of all the individuals throughout history that have spoken truth into our lives because God has called upon them to be his spokespeople. There's a Hebrew word, it's, it's spelled N-A-B-I, Nave. This, this Navi word translated in some circles is translated to spokesman. But the true meaning of the word means to bubble up. And when we apply it to someone speaking, it means for them to bubble up a message, to declare the word of God to the world. And if you think about it, if you think about it, God's message, God's word has come down to us from the heavens through His people. And it is those people that have then taken the word that has floated down from heaven into their hearts and then raised it up for us to hear. Prophets, time and again, show us the way. And the prophet Jeremiah says, Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day I have set to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up and sending them. Sending them. We all, at one level or another, we may not find ourselves to be prophets as these great prophets are each of us have to proclaim the message of God to someone. Augustine says, Preach the gospel to the whole world. And if you must, use words. If you must, use words. We get all of this out of this book. These prophets that have gone before us. These prophets to go to share the message of hope and love of Jesus Christ. They're still existing today. And we must wrestle with who is truly being sent by God and who is truly being false prophets. And that will always be in existence. But if we listen to their voices, if we hear God speaking through them, and we will, and we will know it, because that is what Jesus says is the promise of the Holy Spirit as he spoke to the disciples and he said, I leave you but the great advocate, the one that will come and teach you, The one that will come and show you the way. The Holy Spirit. And it will inspire you. But we must not stop learning. We must not stop listening. Just as these two students realized. Their journey has not ended today. But it is truly only just beginning. Because we must seek Christ in the world. In this broken, hurting world. Now I'm gonna have them, they don't know they're doing this, but they're gonna have me help demonstrate this. You guys ready? Grady's like, sure, not sure what I signed up for. Molly's like, can I not do this? So you two have to come over here. And you just stand right here in the center and face that. No, no, over oh, a little bit more. They might Now, as you two recall, we did some things In confirmation, right? Yeah, yeah. Remember that one time when we went away? We did a we did the retreat. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that fun? Yeah. Yeah. Very excited about. You want to do that again?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What was This is interview time. What was the best part of the retreat? Grading was the best part of the retreat. (laughs) Okay. Care to elaborate? What did you do? (laughs) <laughs> what was the best part of the retreat I'm sorry, I have to know what this is probably
2: grandma's cookies. amen <laughs> you did have your cookies in you were gone that first night
0: I've never seen cookies fly out of a box so fast <laughs> They good though, weren't they yeah, what else was the best part <laughs> oh that, no we're not telling you that <laughs> I <never laughs> know so I say <laughs> let's just put it this way the two of them with the other students that went they made some new friends <laughs> they had to, they had a project they were working on right to, to, to we went to Whitewater Retreat Center up near Grand Rapids and, and the students with some of the adults uh, were asked to go over they have a swimming pool there you didn't know and there's there's a locker room and food trash and and the locker room with paint. And they did that and it's beautiful there now. Um, I actually went and saw it; oh, it looks really, really nice. But while they were doing this they made some new friends. And we're just going to leave it at that. No. <laughs> but they did have an opportunity to do some other things. They showed their artistic ability. They showed their artistic ability. Right, they showed their artistic ability. Uh, since you only have really one good hand, you're going to hold this. Okay, this is their artistic ability. Beautifully created. Um, They spent some time creating this. And it's a reminder, and and I've done this with students in the past, but it's a reminder that in the muck of life, sometimes it's very hard to see Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to see Christ in the muck of life, in this broken world we live in. But if we look closely, we can begin to see Him. We can be reminded of the glorious light that is Jesus Christ. See, that's what the prophets speak of. Isaiah very clearly tells us about the coming Christ and the love that Jesus has for the world. You know what to do next? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it. I'm going to stand in front of him for a minute. And, and so I had the students create this artwork because at the end result of this, it's the reminder of the love that God has for each of you. Because when we look closely, if we look closely, we'll see that cross that stands out, that light that exists in the world. The light of God for you. The love he has for you. And it doesn't require you to have some massive faith that says, I know it all. It requires you to humbly go before the cross and say, in this craziness of life that I live, I still know you're there. And so we created this image and I had a cross covered up and they painted over it and it was just a reminder, I hope to them, and I hope to you and to me and to the world, that even if we can't see it initially, it's always there. It's always, always there. And the prophets, that's what they speak of. They speak of this reminder of the love that God has for you. Molly read, you. From, from the prophet Joel, that even in the Old Testament, ancient times. God's love was consistent. It was always there.
1: It was always present. And it still is today. That was one of the messages, really the biggest message the prophets said. God loves you. God's never going to leave you. Even when the monk of life seems to cover up the cross, he's always still there. You just have to go.
0: And so friends, that's my prayer for all of us on this Confirmation Sunday, is that you can be encouraged to continue to explore your faith, your relationship with Christ. However, that might be for you. And if you don't know, if you're like, Pastor, I want to know, but I don't know, here is where it starts. This place, this holy place where Christ exists, this is where it may begin. This is where it will always continue. For he is always here in this holy place.